We're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 6 today, guys. Um, and our first speaker is Pastor Tom Bloomberg. And this is not an ordinary speaker. This is like the, 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 the highest guy we could get. What? All right, there we go. So uh, Pastor Tom is our regional uh, pastor, and we are so blessed by him. So let's give him a hand. A number of years ago, I was called by the funeral director in our community. We live in Bellingham, Washington, Whatcom County. And he had said that there was this woman, her husband had just passed away, and she was at a memorial service that I officiated at, and she said she wanted that guy, Pastor Tom, to come and, and to do that memorial service. I said, I'll give her a call. I did. I arrived at her house that afternoon, and I saw there was big bay windows as I was walking up, and I was just kind of overwhelmed by the whole scene of everything. I knocked on the door. I, I don't remember ever meeting her. She was unfamiliar to me. She answered the door, and I said, God bless you. I'm so sorry. Your husband's home with Jesus, but I'm so sorry. She just stared at me. I says, ma'am, everything okay? She just looked at me and says, you're not the guy. <laughs> I said, well, you know, the funeral guy mentioned that you were at, she just said, you're not the guy. But can I help you in any way, ma'am? It must be so difficult. You're not the guy. And I just walked away. I mean, I got in the car, called my wife. I says, honey, I'm not the guy. <laughs> I was driving away. She texts me back. She says, you're my guy. But I wanted you to know this morning, there are a lot of guys here, all of you, but specifically pastors. And I'm so blessed to be able to serve with a group of men in the Northwest, part of our Calvary Chapel Association. And it's such a blessing to you know, know these brothers, Jack, uh, at Mount Si and, and Jeff at Thunder Mountain and Robert at Calvary Eastside, Kevin here at Calvary South, Brian in Tacoma, Peter in, uh, in the Bremerton area there, Dan in Oak Harbor, Brian, Skagit Valley, we're up in, uh, in the Bellingham area, John, uh, City Calvary Chapel, and just looking at the team of people, Randy in West Seattle, and even our missionary pastor, Dan Bushy, what a great blessing. And I want you to know, men, all these guys love you, love you dearly. And as we got together and as we get together, we pray because you're just a vital part of what God is doing and what God wants to do through men in ministry, men in fellowship with one another. And we just trust that as we've been praying for this message in Ephesians, something that many of you are familiar with, but it's the living word and it's a power of the Holy Spirit that I think could help and encourage each one of us. Can we stand for a moment as we just read a few verses for the text this morning? The text this morning is coming out of Ephesians chapter 6. The portion right now is just verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. Ephesians chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 10, the title of this message this morning right now is called The Battle. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And Father, as we've worshiped and as we've prayed, we ask for your blessing on this Bible study. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I shared an illustration recently in our fellowship. Father was walking past the bedroom of of his daughter upstairs and noticed that the room was unusually clean and, and made up. It wasn't dirty. Clothes were in the hamper. She wasn't there. He walked in, and there was a, a note on the, on the pillow, and he read, Dear Dad, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I've decided to elope with this guy I met on TikTok. I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom, and I knew you wouldn't approve of his piercings and tattoos and the fact that he's 25 and I'm 17. But he's such a good guy. He's a hard worker, and I know he'll find a job real soon. (laughs) And in spite of his record, he lives in a little trailer outside in the woods, and he grows some really cool special plants. I want to have lots of kids soon. I want to bring your grandchildren home, and when I come home, you'll be able to to meet them and, and grow together with them. So, Dad, goodbye for now. Love you. Lizzie. Then put P.S. By the way, Dad, none of what I wrote is really true. But I did print out my report card and left it on the desk. (laughs) And when you see my grades, just remember that there are worse things in life. (laughs) I'm at our next neighbor's house right now, so please text me when you'd like me to come back home tonight. When we're looking at spiritual warfare, things are not always what they seem to be. And as we get into the text here and really begin to see what the Lord has for us, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. There's other Bible teachers that have looked at the book of Ephesians, these six chapters, And they talk about the first part of Ephesians as far as our wealth that we have, our riches in Christ Jesus. Then they talk about our walk with God. And then lastly, the warfare that we're in. Today, we're looking at the warfare specifically. After 9-11, I was really just overwhelmed with what just happened in our nation And I got a hold of my dad, and we never talked. He was a World War II veteran. He was the second group going into Normandy a week after the first group, the replacement unit. He was a machine gun operator. We never talked a word about that. And after 9-11, I said, Dad, I'm struggling greatly with what just happened. I need to talk to you. You were a World War II vet. Something happened in Hawaii that really launched that war big time. Talk to me, Dad. He says, what do you want to know? I says, Dad, what was the hardest part 
of the whole thing. 17-year-old going over there and fighting on five campaigns, finishing in Berlin. He goes, son, the hardest was the first time when people are firing back at you and you know they want to kill you. And I would say, men, that the Christian life becomes very real when you realize you're in a battle and there's a target on you and the enemy wants to take you out. The enemy hates you, wants to destroy you. We live in this world. We are contending with the world. We're contending with our flesh. We're contending, we're contending with the spiritual opposition that is before us. This morning, and through all the messages, we want to encourage you. We want you to know that there is a battle. You know that already, but may God just reveal the intensity of it. May you understand that God's made provisions for this battle, the armor of God. And may we all leave here today realizing we are going to stand up we're going to step forward and we're going to speak out in the power of the Holy Spirit of God and trust him. I wouldn't choose to live at any other time in a Christian life, not that I have any choice in the matter. But when we look at the church and the Christian history, this is a fantastic time to be living in right now. This is a time that God has chosen for you and for me to be here to be thoroughly equipped, to be workmen that do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. And you have pastors that are training and equipping you for the work of the ministry. And they're laboring diligently for that purpose. But I just think about these days that we're living in. Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for our sins. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. And he lives, and he's alive today, and he's at the right hand of the Father. And he says, I want to reveal to you about the opposition of your life. I want to make known the mysteries that were kept sealed for so long. And he gave us that last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And in 22 chapters, he goes, here it is. Here's how it all ends up. And he said in the beginning in chapter 1, it's, it's about me. And John expressed the glorified Jesus Christ. In chapters 2 and 3, it's the church age. It's the time that we're living in right now. Seven literal churches representing the church age, representing your church, representing your life. In chapters 4, he takes us to heaven. It's the rapture of the church, men. When it's all said and done, when God's work for the church is completed, we're going home to be with him, and it's called the rapture, taking us home to be with Jesus. And then in heaven we see in chapter 5 just the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's holding, the Father's holding a scroll in his hand. Who's worthy to open the scroll? And it's the Lamb of God. It's Jesus himself. And then chapter 6 through 19, it speaks about the last days, the tribulation period. As believers, we're with the Lord in heaven. We're, we're, we're at the banquet feast of the Lamb of God. We thank God for that. But that seven-year period of time 
where there's the seal judgments that come and the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments. And during that time, God in his grace, just like his grace is upon us right now, but the grace of God, he seals 144,000 Jewish men to represent him during the tribulation period. He has two representatives that come down from heaven that proclaim the gospel. He has an angel going throughout the, the earth all over proclaiming the gospel and the good news. There's the Antichrist that comes on the scene. There's the false prophet that comes on the scene during that time. There's a one world religion and a one world government. And it all comes to an end at the battle of Armageddon. And in chapter 19, heaven's open and Jesus Christ comes forth back to this earth. And you come with him if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You come with him. And, and he establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, there's the great white throne judgment, Satan, the demonic realm, all those who have denied salvation through Jesus Christ are in a lake of fire for all eternity. And then we see in chapters 21 and 22, there's a new heaven and a new earth and we live happily ever after. But here we are today. We're in the midst of a battle. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that's where we want to see our strength come from, from him and from his power. We're living at a time where the culture is trying to blur all the lines and we take stewardship over the victory that has been won through Jesus Christ. It's a battle. It's warfare. But it's worth it, brothers. The world is changing, surrendering everything to the whims of the culture. The church, in many aspects, is very sad. It wants to be cool and edgy and political correct. The church is giving up the blood-bought ground that has been gained. We do not have to be afraid, brothers, about what we believe. We can talk about Jesus. We can share our testimony of his salvation. Don't be afraid. You say, well, what, what if something happens? Well, it will happen, but listen, we'll get in trouble. We'll have a bigger audience just to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That means there's no satanic attack or assault is greater than the Lord our God. This is not about being afraid. It's about standing strong. You can only do that in Christ. If you are without Christ, you are blind. And that is why the pastors of Calvary Chapel Make it clear at the end of most messages that you can have a right relationship with God. You can be born again. Or if you're wayward, you can get right with God as well. 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What a blessing to know that. Over 500 years ago, there was a song written by Martin Luther, the reformer. It's a song that's still proclaimed today. 
Some of the lyrics go like this. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing does ask who that might be. Jesus Christ, it's he. The Lord of Sabbath is his name. And from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. My friends, we are in a battle. And we look a little bit further. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And you think, Pastor, What's the big thing? I mean, I believe that. And I say, praise God. But can I give you, as I said earlier, things aren't what they always seem to be. Would you like to hear some statistics from Barna Research of self-described Christians today about their uh, perception about the Holy Spirit, Satan, and demons regarding Christians that strongly agree that Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. Those who strongly agree or somewhat agree within Christians is 59%. Again, that Satan is not a living being. And to go along with that, Christians that do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a living force, that number is 58%. So almost 60% of so-called believers today do not look to the wickedness of the evil one and look at it as just symbolic and look at the Holy Spirit as just symbolism. Brothers, nothing can be further from the truth. We are in a battle and it's unrelenting. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that will be talked about in the last message today. When we look again and we see to put on the whole armor of God, how important that is for us today, putting on that armor. Notice when it says finally, and that's important because when we look at Ephesians in totality, what we once were, we were dead in our sins. We were influenced by Satan. We were controlled by lust. We were under God's wrath. We were pagans without God. We were separated from Christ. And we were without hope in this present world. But by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of yourself. Not of any works. And it tells us in that scripture in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers, we need you in the battle with us. It is a real battle. It's not mythological. It's a real battle. And brothers, I believe that you are contending spiritually in a way that you never have in your life 
brothers, I believe that you are experiencing the reality of the severity of this battle like never before. And we love you. And we're bringing these messages this morning to help all of us understand this battle, how to fight the battle, how to walk in victory in this battle. Because this God I'm speaking, he loved us, he liberated us, he lifted us, he blesses us, he accepts us, he adopts us, he redeems us, he seals us, and he gives us and provides for us eternal security through Christ Jesus our Lord. I like when it says brethren. Oh, how good and how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell together in unity. Another important application right now is from Nehemiah when they were building the wall. In Nehemiah 4, they looked at how big the task was, but they said, remember the Lord, how great and how awesome. And then he says, brothers, fight, fight for your wives, for your children. Be about the battle. It's real. So take a trowel in one hand and take the sword or the word of God in another hand and be about the battle. Brother, the exhortation today is we need you not to surrender, not to give up, not to push back. The enemy is wanting you to disqualify yourself and God has done everything to make us qualified. In 1971, I was a senior in high school, 17 years old, and in January, the lottery for the Vietnam War, you'd watch it on your black and white TV, and they draw out numbers to see who goes first into the battle. And looking at that as a 17-year-old waiting to see if I get shipped out, if I possibly die in a foreign country for a battle that's not ours. My friends, this battle is ours. The battle belongs to the Lord, but he's called us to be men and to be in the battle. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, Paul says. He says to Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. He tells us that no temptation has overtaken us except what is common to man. Your sin isn't unique to you and you alone. The enemy, Satan, the demonic realm, wants you to think that there's no way that God would forgive you, wash you, cleanse you, and use you. And that is a huge lie that the enemy is telling you. He saved us. He redeems us. He washes us. He uses us. I have six grandchildren. My youngest is six or seven years old. We play basketball outside on my little hoop in the back. And just when him and I are together, I says, we don't leave until you make 10 straight. So he'll make one, miss one, make one. Well, we have this thing that I created. Because when he misses a shot, I go like this. And he goes, what's that, Papa? That means I didn't see it. So you've made one for one right now. He misses a second one, makes the third one, you're two for two. Makes the third one, three for three. Misses one, didn't see it. So basically when he's done, he's 10 for 10. 
and might I say respectfully, concerning your sin as you bring it before the Lord Jesus Christ and as you allow the blood of Christ to forgive you for all your sins in a respectful way as the Lord goes, there's no account of that. There's no record of that. You're one for one. You're in the victory lane right now. And men, God will teach us about that victory. Resist the devil. Be steadfast in the faith. When we're looking here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. In 1 Samuel, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands the power of his might. Have you forgotten his benefits? Jot down on your notes for future study and devotion, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. He forgives all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. My point is this, if we forget his benefits, it's very likely that we will be tempted to fantasize about that, about that which does not belong to us. The enemy does attack your mind in your thought life. And if we're not thinking about God in his benefits, Isaiah 40, verse 27 have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator, the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is he weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Paul would say, my grace is sufficient for, for you from the Lord. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. In every Calvary Chapel ministry pastor that is here, they will tell you this. It's not by their power nor by their might, but by the Holy Spirit, says the Lord. And they believe that with all their heart. So we want to put on that armor of God that we'll be able to stand. And you want to stand up. You want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those wiles are schemes. The application is there's no satanic scheme that can penetrate the armor of God. You put it on and you're protected, clothed in his armor. We're safe and secure by the Lord. Put it on so you can stand firm in the Lord when David was given an assignment from God, Saul wanted to armor him up in a human way. And David says, no, I've, I've known the Lord. I've known his strength. He has supplied me everything that I need, all the armor, all the protection. It's from him. I have fought the lion. I have fought the bear. I have prevailed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Saul would say, go and the Lord be with you. 
And what I want to say, men, today as we leave here, using those same words, go, for the Lord is with you. Go and believe in him. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 through 11, it says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that for one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, least Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. An important application right now, men. Do you want to experience the power of God? I know you do. You're here. You believe that. You want to be all that God wants you to be. But you're troubled. And you're troubled by, by sin that seems to plague you. And God would release you even right now, even before this message is finished. Because according to this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if there's unforgiveness, men, if there's unforgiveness, it says Satan will take advantage of you in that situation. So are you holding grudges? and bitterness, and anger against another person? Perhaps your spouse or your children? It's usually somebody close to you, somebody you know, and you're not willing to forgive them? Well, they haven't asked for forgiveness. It doesn't say that in the scripture. It says, men, we initiate before God. We say, God, I've offended you, and I've offended this person, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I'll ask them for forgiveness. Men, if you're not willing to forgive, you are subjecting yourself to satanic attack and it will paralyze you. Forgiveness will free you. Think about how God freed us when we asked for his forgiveness. He didn't hold anything over our head. He said, as far as the east is from the west, so I have forgiven you. And God wants us to forgive. We do not prepare ourselves for what the enemy is going to do. When we put on the armor of God, it's a sense of preparation. Trusting God for what he has for us in our lives. Paul would say this. Paul who is such a great example. But he would say in Romans 7, the very things I want to do, I'm not doing. And the things I don't want to do, I am doing. And he expressed that dilemma that he's in. And you know it as well as I. And he said, wretched man that I am, who will set me free? He's, he's, he's just bound up in this. And are you bound up? But listen what he says. Listen to what Jesus does. There, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers, the enemy has been trying to condemn you. I'm speaking about a battle, a very real battle, a battle that exists. And I'm saying the enemy is going to use unforgiveness and other sins of the flesh to paralyze you and to keep you from moving forward and to make you feel defeated in life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
who no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. What we could not do, God did for us. Deuteronomy 24, for the Lord your God, it's he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to save you against these wiles, these schemes, these methods, the methodology that is out there. So don't underestimate Satan's power and don't overestimate your own abilities. Please understand and apply the resources that God has provided for you and for me. We'll learn more about that this morning. But what about friendly fire? Friendly fire. Friendly fire is when the same team shoots another member of the same team. Stop the friendly fire in the church. Stop the friendly fire in the home. Your wife is not your enemy. Your children is not your enemy. Your pastor is not your enemy. Your employer is not your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We need to understand these truths, brothers, the devil. You know what it is said about the devil in Isaiah 14? It says, those who will see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the worlds as wilderness and destroyed its cities, who do not, who do not open the houses of prisoners? looking at the evil one, Satan. Let's look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. For we do not wrestle, we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. I call this the satanic mafia. You see, there's four of them that are right there. The principalities, the powers, the rulers, the spiritual hosts. All of us brothers as pastors feel an intensity in spiritual warfare like never before. We are not the enemy. Your pastor needs prayer. The battle is far severe than you could possibly imagine, dear brothers. Don't complain. Be thankful that the word of God is going out and that your pastor is staying true to the word of God and leads the work with biblical worldview, and your pastor rejects the woke culture and rejects the religion of climate change and demonstrates faith and rejects those who want to incite fear in your life. We love you, and it's a ministry of faith, and we're doing the best. We're doing the best we can in the ministry in the Northwest, we believe God is doing above and beyond all we can ask or think. We're all on this journey of faith together, and what a joy that it is. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh in 2 Corinthians 10. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down the strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself 
against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. James would say, who is wise and understanding amongst you in chapter 3? Let him show it by his good conduct. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Brothers, do not love the world or the things in the world. If, any, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And we're with you. And we're about doing God's will together to the glory of the Father. And finally, in verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And we're living in that evil day. No satanic evil can withstand the prayer of God's people. And we'll learn more of that in the third message. In the name of Jesus Christ, claim the blood of the cross to resist the enemy. Pray for one another by name. Pray for protection over your wife, over your children, over your grandchildren. Pray for his direction in your life. Pray for his peace to surpass your understanding. I believe Wearsby said, the spiritual life is not a playground. It's a battleground. Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So brothers, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And the exhortation, brothers, men, is to stand for God. Stand up. Stand up for him. Stand up for his word. Stand up for truth. Stand up, brothers, for what God has called you to be. Stand up and step out. It's time to take that next step of faith and speak forth as the Lord gives you words. Proverbs 4.23, Keep your heart, men, with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And finally, in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, and do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In a minute, we're going to have a response and an application with Pastor John. Before that, I want to conclude with an illustration that I've used at many of our yearly gatherings like this. Because men, we are weak in prayer. We are. I have never met a man that has come to me in sincerity and say, Pastor, I have a problem. I pray too much. It's never happened. So how can we, in a practical way, strengthen our prayer life 
It's real simple. And this illustration came to me when I was watching somebody working out in a weight room. And they put on way too much weight to impress those that were watching as though they were going to hoist it as a bench press. And it was way too much. And all of a sudden, all I heard was, spot me, spot me, spot me. I'm getting crushed. And the same thing is with us men. The weight of this world is a crushing weight. And we need to say, spot me. Can't handle it ourselves. God will help us. But God wants us to call out. So here it is. In the next two minutes, you'll have a plan that could help you the rest of your life. I send a text to Pastor Kevin Day, and all I say on the text is spot me. Two words, spot me. And he knows I need prayer. Man, we don't like to elaborate. We just like to give cliff notes and move on. <laughs> Frustrates our wives greatly. Details, details. Okay. So I text my friend, Pastor Kevin Day, spot me. He doesn't have to call back, doesn't have to do anything other than to text back and say, spot on. My brother's praying for me. That's all. I may at another point say, thanks for praying for me. Here's a little more to pray. But not, not obligated. I just need prayer. Brothers, we need prayer. And we don't have a lot of time. But what we do have time for is that you text your friend. And you text your friend. Or you can text your wife. She would love to pray for you. But all it is is spot me. I'm getting crushed right now. Spot me. Spot on. Someone is praying for you right now. So if someone says, spot me, you say, spot. I'm sorry. If someone says, spot me, you say, spot. great. Pastor John, can you help come and continue this ministry this morning? Thank you, brother. So, you guys, we need to pray uh, with and for each other. You know, verse 13 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, right? And uh, I think pretty much all of us here in this room would agree that we are living in the day of evil. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm 61 years old, and never in my lifetime have I seen us going on a downward trend faster than even in the last couple years. And the devil is at work. And he has had massive victories within, quote unquote, the Christian community, or I don't know if you'd call it the church, but certainly under the guise of the name Christian. So uh, I was reading, and not that Wikipedia knows all that much, but Wikipedia tells us that 61% of Americans would identify as quote-unquote Christian. But what I found to be 
interesting was an article that I read in Christianity Today. And, and Tom actually referenced uh, Barna Research. And, and it was over half the people don't essentially believe in the devil or his power and don't really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's over half, okay? So here's another statistic for you. And this is, this is really something. It just shows you how much we need to pray for each other. So, uh, and this was, this was from an article from March 5th of this year. And uh, there was a study done by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And it was led by George Barna himself of the Barna Research Group. And they went out to find out of American people how many are, would say they have a biblical worldview. And they asked a number of questions on how you view things, right? So the percentage of American people who have a biblical worldview, and basically what that means is that means that you look at everything through the lens of the Bible. And, and you're, you're constantly asking, okay, what does God's word say about that? Not what does the culture say about that? Not, not, you know, not politics, not anything, but what does the word say about whatever topic, topic it is? And this is amazing. Of the people in America, 4% have a biblical worldview. 4%. Now, let's put that into perspective, you guys. Just to, I mean, this is the battle that we're in. 4% of, of, of our country have a biblical worldview. So that would mean, say there's 300 people in this room. You know what that would mean? That would mean that there are 12, right? If there were, if this was just a room filled of American people, there would be 12 people in this room who would have a biblical worldview. And essentially, it would be Let's just say it would be this row right in the front, right up here, and then a couple of guys in the second row. Everybody else does not have a biblical worldview. And if Wikipedia is right, and 61% of Americans would identify as Christians, let's say, let's say the room is filled with, with quote-unquote Christian people. That would mean that one in 15 people, one in 15 uh, would identify as having a biblical worldview. That would mean that essentially it would be the whole of the first two rows and everybody else would not have a biblical worldview. That is the condition of the, the, the culture in which we live and we need to pray for each other. And I, I appreciate what Tom had to say when he was talking about the devil and attacking, right? And, and he knows who his target, his targets are. Uh, and, and as it talks about here in, in uh, you know, Ephesians chapter 6 about the, the full armor of God, right? And, and he, it's talking about the devil's schemes. I mean, think about that. That's actually an interesting word. He has plots against every single one of us here in this room. And this exhortation, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, uh, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And you think of, think of a Roman soldier 
the worst thing that could happen to a Roman soldier, if that Roman soldier is in a battle, because, I mean, those guys basically fought hand-to-hand, would be that they would be on the ground. Because that would, in those, in that circumstance, usually would mean battle's over for them. And it is the, this idea of, of being able to stand our ground. And we need to stand our ground, especially when we think of the devil and the fact that he's trying to knock us down. You know, I, I know a place where I personally was attacked. Tom had asked me to share this testimony, but I'm going to share it a little bit differently. Um, so, I was studying, and it was the Sunday before our, our Christmas service, which, which, you know, I know Christmas Day was on a Sunday, but it was, so it's the week before we have, you know, our typical Christmas service, right, before Christmas, and everybody invites their friends and family and all of these things, and so I was working on my message, and as I'm sitting there typing away, I'm noticing that the words on my computer were not matching what I wanted to write. And in fact, I'm looking at my computer screen and it is complete gibberish. And I'm thinking, what on earth is is going on? And I'm typing. And next thing you know, I don't know where any of the letters are. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of interesting. So, so I stand up, stretch, figure, okay, I just need to get a bit of a, a physical reset and I'll be okay. Sat down and I lost all my motor ability. Uh, I, I could not move. And I went into these convulsions. Not only that, I lost my ability essentially to think and I lost my ability to speak. And this was an interesting experience because uh, just a couple days before this, my best friend in high school, a guy my age, had died of a massive heart attack. And so, you know, that's kind of on my mind. And I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? I, 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 and, and so I'm thinking, okay, I'm having a massive stroke. So I, I was able to get my cell phone out to dial 911, my wife is gone. She was working at the University of Washington in admissions, which is crunch time. And on a Saturday, that's where she is. So I'm home alone, and I need to call 911. And I couldn't even figure out how to dial 911. I mean, that's how messed up it was. So finally, I was able to get 911, and they they came and they took me. And as I'm going in the ambulance to the ER at the UW Medical Center, you guys, I'm in massive convulsions. So much so that my my shirt was completely drenched of sweat. When they rolled me into the ER, people actually came out. The the the, the doctors and nurses came out of the various rooms just to see what was going on. In the hallway, the place was so packed, they didn't have room to put all the patients. And so we're out in the hallway because there was this wild convulsion going on. It was me just... <laughs> and, and so I don't know if they were embarrassed about this or wanted to take... But, but they found me a room. And this is why I'm telling this story. Well, first off, my wife, great. She sent out the, on the prayer chain, and people rallied. I mean, I tell you, if you want prayer, uh, text Tom Blumberg, and you'll have an army of people praying. But here's why I'm telling the story. As I am having this episode, I was convinced I was dying. 
I, I'm serious. And I thought, this is it. My life is coming to an end. And what struck me, you know, what, what hit me? When you think your life is over, what I would like to think is that when I'm in that moment, it's like this time of peace. Thank you, Lord, for my, my life. Thank you for my family, for the church, for all that you've blessed me with. And I'm so excited to meet you face to face. You, I, would, I would hope that that's what I would have been thinking, but that isn't what first came to mind. What first came to mind was, God, forgive me. I'm sorry I wasn't a better Christian. I'm sorry I wasn't a better pastor. I'm sorry I wasn't a better husband. I'm sorry I wasn't a better dad. And you think, okay, what is that? What that is, is this some weird condemnation that I'm not good enough. And, I, you know, I preach all the time against that kind of stuff, but that's what was going on in my mind. And I think, you know, was that the enemy planting those thoughts in my mind? And then, then all of a sudden, this overwhelming sense of peace came over because the reality is I'm not good enough. None of us are. But you know who is good enough is our Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for all of us, right? And uh, that's what had brought me such incredible peace. And this is what we're supposed to be strong in. We're men, right? What are we supposed to be strong in? Well, I think one of the best things that we could be strong in is to realize how weak we are. We are weak. And therefore, the exhortation in verse 10 is finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, right? And where does that come from? Does it come from us trying to muster up our Christian strength and our Christian life? I believe that comes from prayer and seeking the Lord and spending time with the Lord. And uh, we have an opportunity right now to do that together. And you think of the ways that the enemy wants to go after us, right? To, to knock us down, to get us to start slipping. And, and you think, what's, what's the worst place that you could ever slip? And that is in doubt, when you begin to doubt the word of God. I have a question. How many people in this room next year, if you are here, will no longer have a biblical worldview? You will have let the world get into your thinking enough that you would no longer say that God's word is the authority on everything. Statistically, uh, there are, are going to be some of us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that for me. And I don't want that for you either. So we can pray together about this. How about, I appreciated what Tom had to say. One of the biggest ways the enemy is going to attack us is unforgiveness when we hold bitterness. I look at my life in those times where I've harbored bitterness, um, unforgiveness, my spiritual growth stops. And I begin to go in reverse, right? And especially, you guys, I have to be honest. There's not a non-Christian that I can think of in, in my world that I have an issue with. My list of Christians that I have an is issue with is kind of long, quite frankly. It's sad to say that. And there's uh, unforgiveness. 
I don't need that, especially against the bride of Christ. Um, how about spiritual apathy? Right? Spiritual apathy, where maybe we have a biblical worldview, but we're so caught up in the world that we're kind of, our heart is carried somewhere else and we're not really engaged with the Lord that he, in the way that he would want us to. And, and the, you know, the, the purpose there isn't to heap condemnation, but it's, it's that to remind us every day is a new day and just that constant, we are restored with the Lord. And so you guys, what I'd like to do is for us to have some time to pray together. And, uh, and so what I want us to do, if you would please stand up. And this is how we're going to uh, have the prayer work. Now, the easy thing is to pray with the guys on your right and your left. Why? Because you know them. You came with those guys, right? So what we want is for you to pray with somebody you don't know. So what we want is the guys in row one to turn around and pray with the guy behind. Guy in, guys in row three, turn around and pray with the guys in row, row four. Row five, turn around and pray. Introduce yourself and pray for each other. <laughs> 